It has been two years since the trade galaxy was shaken to its core by the actions of a single, mismatched, multi-species crew. Whatever you think of the heroes of Yentao, also known as the Space Squad, one thing is certain. All eyes are watching for whatever they do next. Six hours before Lorelei found herself hugging her grandma and her girlfriend on a road in the middle of Analu City, Crick was asleep. Now, Crick has a bad track record with dreams, but at least it's consistent. Yeah. Except for this time. Oh no. Crick, you fall into dreaming and you always feel the transition. You feel the transition from dreamless sleep to the dream. And you're always slightly conscious of it. And once again, you find yourself lying on your back beneath a burning sky. Well, beneath a burning everything. But this time, you can hear something. And you can see a shadowy silhouette. Some enormous figure. And you hear this kind of sad choir of voices singing to you as you lie there. The sky sees, the stars shine, the world is rich and sour as wine. The tree burns, the shriek wakes, the door was locked. Um, I call out to them. Hello? Hello? As you shout, hello, that shadow turns towards you. Oh, shit. (laughs) And you see this elongated face like a skull with eyes that are almost like the inverse of stars. It's like light is disappearing into them and it bends closer through the flames and then you fall through the floor and you wake up in the cave having just had the first new dream in over two years. East of New Analu, past White Craig Gorge, um, there is a forest. And in that forest, there are several things. There is a large encampment of sites who have fled here from worlds that believe that they are just nothing more than things. There is also a Namazir living here. She's standing outside a humble home on the forest floor. Her name is Dukumi Nazarel, and she is large even for a Namazir. She is a 13-foot giant with deep teal skin and these swirling blue-black markings. Her clothes are simple and her expression is tired. It's, it's a world away from the Namazir she used to be. The Namazir who founded the organization that almost killed you two years ago. It suits her. And she sees you arrive and then she says, it's about the dream, isn't it? Nice to see you too. <laughs> she kind of gives you this small, humorless smile. And then she says, come inside. No small talk. Okay. She leads you into a space that looks like it might have once been a shipping container, though any signs of that stark past are mostly hidden by the trappings of long-term habitation. A full third of the container is taken up by a gently bubbling tub of warm water, which is probably where she sleeps, given that she's an amphibian. The air is humid, and moisture is crawling in long, shining trails over the walls papered with laminated photographs and posters. The rough concrete floor is mostly covered by these soft, spongy tiles which are kind on her Namazir feet. And your boots kind of probably make them squeak as you follow her into her little home. Uh, She has this tiny little kitchenette, which is more just like a shelf with a heating plate on it than anything else. And a fridge whose door squeals as she tugs it open with one of her forearms. Um, The door shuts with a clang and then she turns to you holding out a can. Uh, No thanks, I'm good. Mitchell. And she turns it so you can see that it says tea on the side. Yes! She passes it to you and um, 
Yeah, it just says milk tea on the side. Nice. Uh, I drink it. Yeah, as you pop the tab, there's like a, a hissing noise and it heats up in your hand. I remember what you like. Kind of hard to forget, really, after after everything. Glug, glug, glug. <laughs> glug, glug, glug. Just says the words glug, glug, glug. Uh, she also takes a sip of her own tea and then she leans back against the counter and she says tell me what you saw so as usual as I've had every night and time I slept for the past few years uh, was staring up at the uh, burning everything no just a regular night and uh, but this time I, I, I saw this large shadowy figure and there were these voices, this sort of sad choir singing this haunting melody. And the lyrics, they were talking about uh, a door having been broken that had been um, had been locked before and something called the Shriek Awakening. Oh, and then I called out to uh, see who it was and the shadowy figure turned towards me and I saw this weird stretched face like a skull that had eye sockets that were like sucking in light and then it fell through the hole and uh, woke up you asked me once back in Yentao what caused me to make the choices I did Hmm. I told you the truth then I told you what I'd been through and what I'd lost and what I'd endured but I didn't tell you about the dreams I want you to understand, I didn't know then that I was al- wasn't alone in experiencing them or in attracting the attention of something from somewhere else. I thought that the dreams were part of the grief and the suffering and the PTSD. And she finished, she drains her tea and she sets it down and she goes, the first time I dreamt of the end of the universe, I was 25 years old and I had just been marooned in a hostile world with only a damaged AI sight core for company. I closed my eyes and I saw fire and I assumed it was trauma. When I continued to have exactly the same dream every night for the entire five years I spent isolated on that planet, I started to grow a little bit suspicious and then I escaped. I returned to the trade galaxy, I reconnected with old friends, I reactivated my bank account, I prepared to live my life, and then the dream changed to what you described just then. Wait, you saw this years ago? Yes. So this isn't... So when did it happen for you? What did it precede? Nothing. Nothing? Nothing. And at the time, I... I was afraid. You asked me once, why did I found whispers? Why did I start everything? And the answer was because of that dream, because I was scared. And I thought the universe, the, the, the galaxy needed to be prepared for whatever that could mean. But decades passed and nothing happened. Looking at you now, I don't know if my warning came too early or I don't know why. I don't know why. But I know that whatever happened yesterday, I think it's connected to the dream we both share. Well, on the plus side, we have a warning in advance. We do have a chance to be ready. And I would argue we need to share this with my team. Uh, I, I didn't tell them that I was coming here because I wanted to keep your privacy. And I, I know you wanted to meet alone and I respect that but I do want to tell them about the dream uh, because I think that together we can do something about it she nods and then she says tell the others and you can tell them about me too and I'll be there if I'm ever needed but until then I don't feel comfortable seeing them for reasons that I think are pretty understandable Given everything. Might I make an observation? Yes. I don't think necessarily your warning came too early. I think that whatever this door and whatever this shriek thing is, whether it's an an idea or a sound or whatever, I think it's entirely possible that 
this door was broken when you first heard about it, and this uh, thing was threatening the galaxy as at the time when you first heard about it, but it didn't do so either because it wasn't ready or because it needed to know more, or maybe because your organization really did threaten them. I don't think it's a coincidence that relatively soon after, on a cosmic scale, relatively soon after the destruction of Whispers and the galaxy falling into somewhat more chaos than before, that we have this arising again. I think they may be connected. And I don't think that it's just that your warning came too early. I think that it influenced the timing and that your attempt to preparation was not misguided. So Kimi bows her head and then she reaches out to one of the photos. She has hundreds of them papered on the walls, uh, mostly of sites that she seems to, like, from what you can gather from her apartment, she seems to be working with the AI Alliance, helping sites and helping people find homes. And she lifts up the corner of one of the laminated photos, revealing a much smaller and more battered photo beneath of six Namazir standing in the line. And she just gently taps one finger on it and she says, that would be a nice thought. The idea of preparing for what eventually came and the growing disillusionment with Kanzir, that wasn't bad. That wasn't evil. It's just things didn't turn out the right way. And I think that sometimes I worry that you beat yourself up too much. And believe me, I know what that's like. Maybe that's why we share the dream. I could be. It could be. It's almost as if um, it's true that you beat yourself up too much. And someone's <laughs> trying to tell you that. Thank you for coming to talk to me. Of course. And hey, Mitch, if you ever see the thing that gives us these dreams, can you tell her that she's a dick? <laughs> and then. Hey, Paige, you're a dick. <laughs> no! where do you meet Jiahu? Like, I asked her to come to Springs and things. I think it's like, I imagine probably everyone's gone by now. Yeah. It was just kind of me and Bugsy just w just waiting outside. Uh, people definitely give Bugsy a wide berth. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, I, I, him. I think you're waiting for like 25 minutes. I think she keeps you waiting. Ooh. <laughs> and then... I think I probably like, I like looking at my... my thing saying like she sent me a message is she gonna be late like what's happening here uh, the crowd outside of the smoothie shop dwindles as the shop starts to close up and then you see her i i wave try and beckon her over and um, she comes over to you and stares up at you nervously uh bugsy kind of bends immediately and like tries to like say hello and she just kind of pats his nose fondly and then she reaches up to your hand and loops one finger through your finger and she says we need to talk we do yes somewhere private uh do you know anywhere i don't know i spend most of my time in the camp she looks around and then she's gonna tug you she tries to tug you between the smoothie shop and faraday's shop um yeah i'll follow like like beck and bugsy you squish together down this narrow gap between the buildings until you're almost you're right like you're 20 feet down into gloom uh, back into the gloom almost behind the two shops and then she turns to you was it him or was it one of his servants wait uh, him Shlup, was it him was it piros it, it it wasn't no it was it was it was one of the it's one of the vanguards. He was, oh goodness, he was so big. She like visibly sags with relief. <sighs> okay, okay, we it's still, okay. It's we okay. It's okay. It's okay. Like I, I put my hands on her shoulders, just like, are you, are you okay? Yeah, we, we still have time. If it was just a vanguard, then we, we still have time. For, what? <sighs> Schlep. Yeah. We've never really talked about what I am. Apart from being my friend? Shut <laughs> And she sounds fonder this time. And then her form flickers. And for a moment, she's not just a small, pale, blue-white Araswati. In this other form, she's still deer-like, but her eyes are luminous. And 
her fur is woven with these iridescent feathers and she has like the green the green marking the ring around her eye she has normally it's glowing like it's lit up from inside and then it flickers again and she's just yahoo as you know her this small and pale and nervous we've never really talked about what i am we've talked around it a few times about the fact that i'm not from here and you know you know i've seen things right i know but i know they they heard you so you know i never wanted to pry Shlup, what he can do or he did i won't ever forget it and i won't ever forgive it and that was you know that was him right i know it was the vanguard but it was his power i mean yeah he he shot a couple of fireballs at us. He took Crick down at one point. I mean Faraday got him back up, so he's fine, but it was it was close. It's gonna get closer. I felt it, Schlepp. Even from across the city, I I felt it and I knew. I think I could be on the other side of the galaxy and I would have known it was him. If this isn't some kind of terrible dream, then we're living on borrowed time, and that means we can't just keep talking around what I am and ignoring the lion rabbit in the room. Sorry, he, Bugsy. Yeah, he, he's over there. Shlup. I guess I'm not in a room. Don't make jokes just this once. Okay. And she squeezes your, your the finger she still has trapped in her hand, and she says, I love... Being your friend. But the fact of the matter is that I'm like that thing you just faced. You are definitely not like a thing because that thing shot fireballs at us and nearly killed us. I don't have fire magic, but Shlep, I'm a servant. I'm, I'm, I can be taken over and controlled and used like that thing was. That thing, the vanguard, it used to be a person. Uh, that used to be a person? Yeah. Like, the Vanguards don't talk much, but they're still people. I mean, I tried talking to it, like, with magic, and it mostly was screaming about trying to get to the thing that we found out there. Shlup. That's not a person. But it was. Listen, that could be me. That, I will know. I know you want to protect me, but Shlup, I had a whole entire pantheon of gods protecting me last time and they all died. Yeah, well, now you've got the space squad. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Ah, I, and just, page is I dead. shouldn't laugh. <laughs> Shlup, I, I really don't think they're comparable. But the point is, I'm like the vanguard. I am a puppet waiting to be possessed. You're no you are no one's puppet. I know you're trying to be supportive, but literally I am. Well, how do we make you not a puppet? How do we make you your own? I don't know. Because the person that I'm tied to, I'm meant to be the servant of the god of music. But she's dead. But I'm still here. So I don't know what that means. Clearly means you're meant to do something else and that you're not just a puppet. I don't want to hurt you, and I don't want to be turned into a thing like what you faced. And I won't let that happen. Shlup, listen to me. I think I need to go away for a while. Go where? I think... I don't know. I know... I think I need to try and work out how to stop myself from being like that thing. I want to be free. I don't want to be a servant anymore. I know this probably really sucks to hear, but I don't want to be a servant because of you. You make me want to be brave again. You make me want to be free. Because when I'm free, I can make choices. And she twists her hand in your hand and takes your hand, threading your fingers together. And she says, I want to make choices. I know the importance of that. So I... I, I support you. Anything anything you need to do, I, like, I'd say I offered to help, but maybe that's not appropriate. I don't know. I think this is something I can only really do by myself. 
but if you ever need help and she holds out her empty hand and a flute forms in her palm out of light at first but then it is metal with frost creeping over its surface and she holds it out to you and she says you just need to call me thank you I think I like I read out just like I give her a very yeah I embrace her big hug she hugs you and her hands and face are cold while Corel is in their space while Corel is doing the black book thing ha- having a thing with a shadow book Friday she's gonna like leap up and be like fuck and then she's like um fuck um so I didn't expect to be called off in the middle of the wedding um and I haven't taken my antidepressants today they're up they're up there can you get them for me please and Junie stands up on tiptoe uh, because she, Faraday's only like five foot one, right? She's teeny. Yeah, she Junie is much taller. She's like five foot ten, so she stands up on tiptoe and reaches. Uh, where are you? Are you in the bridge? Yeah, yeah. She reaches up above um, the door to the armory, I think, and she gets a little box and brings it over to you. And I will take them and then I'll, like hold up my hand to be like, okay, I'm gonna say something. Just give me a second. Just give me a second. Uh, you really like charades. Uh, you want to leave everything to Corel after you die. I mean, I, that's understandable. I know you two have an unbreakable bond, but like, I am your wife. Uh, what do you want to say? You are terrible at charades. <laughs> um, no, what yeah. I, what I wanted to say is what you said earlier about you just being your regular self. I want you to know that that's not true even if it feels like it. And that you are spectacular just by virtue of being you. In that you are bold and brave and you are always there to step in, even though things may have been a bit shitty before. There is nothing regular about you. You are the brightest star in the sky. And I hope that one day you see yourself the way that I do. Well, what can I say to that? Um, I love you too, Faz. But, like, I'll try to believe you, but I think a part of me will always just feel like a carbon copy of my mom, but without anything that makes her extraordinary. You are nothing like her. If you were, you would be dressed up in that tower with her, but you're not. Well, I mean, technically it's a space station. Oh my god, you were just like, slurp. <laughs> <laughs> I am so offended. <laughs> no, darling, you made that decision to not do that. Like you, you left and you went and did something for yourself. And that is so incredibly brave considering the pressure you must have been under. You are nothing like her. Junie kisses Faraday. It is passionate. <laughs> it seems passionate. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I also wanted to say, you know, that I saw him today and it's the first time in two years and I'm kind of shaken up and I think something is happening and I don't want you to think that what we have isn't enough because I have loved so much just waking up in the morning and going to work and talking to you about your day and I wish that that was what the next few months was going to be like but I don't know if I can kid myself that it is. What I do want to make sure that you know is he must have chosen me for a reason and I might try and kid myself about that too, but he did. And I think that that's to do good, but what I want to make absolutely crystal fucking clear is that whatever this ascension means, whatever using this power means... If it means an eternity without waking up next to you, then I am not doing it. I am not that selfless. And I'm not even fucking sorry about it. Junie holds, like, cups your face in her hands and she presses her forehead against your forehead and she says, Well, you said this to me a long time ago, before we even put that, ring, that first ring on our fingers. And it was something like this. Let's be selfish together. It's worked so far, right? It's worked so far. God damn it! You've wrecked Elliot. (laughs) Faraday, who flies your little Antheus up to the jellyfish? Not Corel. Interesting (laughs) distinction. (laughs) That was one time. Uh, I think probably Junie. Has Corel been allowed to fly any ship (laughs) since then? 
We don't talk about the KJ1. I just want to make clear, Corell took on the group, the group's decision, and in the circumstances did an excellent job. It could have gone so much worse. Bored of D&D? Want to try something else? Why not check out Control Group? We test systems so you don't have to. Using our patented mini-campaigns along with one-shots, we test how far you can stretch systems with our unique ideas and broad storytelling. Our mission statement is to give a voice to those not often heard in the TTRPG community. So whether it be a system you've never heard of, or our testers being people of color, people on the LBGTQIA spectrum, we want to make sure our stories are broad, vast, and told from different perspectives. So whether you want classic role-playing or just big goofs, come listen to us try out systems, some of which we've even made ourselves. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, or head over to controlgrouppod.com. That's CTRL, just like the key on your keyboard. There you can find the systems we test, along with easily accessible PDFs. So check us out if you're into Monster of the Week, Passion Dallas, Passionis, oh, Song of Fire and Ice, Blazers and Feelings, Gunsight, Void Worlds, Wizards and Wands, Stranded, Interstitial, The Last Shonen, and so much more! Junie is in the pilot's chair. Faraday, Corel. The ship rumbles and shudders around you as its engines come online, and then your stomachs drop all at once as the engines amp up and the ship pushes off the ground. You hear the whine click of its fins rotating back into flight position, and then the deep boom of the main thruster winding up, driving you starwards. You see the treetops and spire tips of New Annalia for a second, and then the nose of the ship rises to a sky that is pink with sunset and studded with stars. Through that pink glow, you can see the pale blue disk of Enka, the gas giant that Rava orbits. It's been made into an azure crescent, crescent by the light of Shulter, the system's well-behaved, very ordinary yellow star. Brighter than the planet itself are its rings, a halo of bright white ice that out, outshines the dozen other moons orbiting nearby. A dark silhouette hangs in stark contrast to all that colour and light. A giant of an asteroid shaped somewhat like a bowl, with an underside that bristles with glittering spires and domes. This is the Jellyfish, an unusual space station with an unusual history and even more unusual tenants. So Juni slows the ship down and suddenly your flight is a gliding ballet and ahead of you you can see the round head of the airlock walkway that will reach out and clamp to your own and above that you can see the giant four-pronged claw of the magnetic cradle arm, the large metal pads at the tip of each digit glowing with blue-white light as you come in range. Uh, Junie slides you in beneath that hand and you come to a stop. But you haven't stopped, of course. You're in geostational orbit, and Rava is turning, and Enka is turning, and Eva Shulter is turning, but you feel motionless. And there's a four-beat clunk above you, and then the ship is out of your hands, um, freeing you up to... Well, freeing Junie up to power down the engines and wait for the airlock to attach. And she kind of uh, cracks her knuckles and is like, uh, not bad, not bad. Definitely one of the smoother landings. And they both just look at Corel. Yeah. <laughs> I am not going to apologize again. The airlock panel goes green. And then you hear... What do you do? Poke our heads through? Hi, wait. Okay. That's you, not what I meant. You open the airlock and stick your heads out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No. Who could it be? Are they still in space? No, they are connected. <laughs> no, they fucked up the space. Faraday's dead. I will bring up the screen to see who it is. Uh, you see a human standing outside the airlock, uh, white with mousy hair. Uh, they're wearing a smart black cap and a long scarlet coat with an embroidered sigil of a hand cupping a sphere over the left breast pocket. I'm going to look at Jeannie and be like, you know, if you want to like make sure everything's parked up, I completely understand. No, I'll come. She'll just ask. I'll just get texts if I don't come. Where were you, darling? Krell does lead over to, to Junie. Do you happen to know why your mother opted for Scarlet? Blood. Ah. Blood seems her style, right? Yes, that, that, that makes sense. It does, doesn't it? It feels like her. It's a her colour. Um, You open the airlock and the human waiting outside straightens up and goes 
the lady hopes that, and then checks their uh, checks a little like data pad in their hand, and they go, the space squad have all arrived and would like to meet with you in her chamber post haste. And then he looks at the three of you and goes, you appear to be missing some members. They're on the way. Hmm. And then Junie goes, hey, Tom. And the, the human goes, Lady Juniper. And Jeannie elbows you, Faraday, and she goes, uh, do you think he'll ever listen to me asking him not to call him that? Call me that? No. And now Tom looks at you, Faraday, and goes, Lady Lewis. Hi, Tom. Um, you, you may not remember because it was two years ago, but that's not my name anymore. Lady Zenith Lewis. Closer, it's actually Dr. Zenith Lewis, but well done. His face has gone bright pink. He's like, Dr. Zenith Lewis. <laughs> Lady Dr. Zenith Lewis? Lady Doctor. Lady Doctor Doctor Lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, regardless, the lady would like to meet with you. Post haste! Oh, we should probably get the thing. Ah, yes, yes. The thing? We have a, a an artifact for examination. I assume you go and get the pod yep. and carry it between you as he like turns to lead you through the jellyfish. So you exit the ship, uh, locking it up behind you, and then ascend through the jellyfish, uh, riding elevators that race upwards with at these kind of honestly very scary speeds. Uh, through the windows, you get flashes of familiar sights, especially to you, Faraday. Uh, countless other levels of the docking spire you just docked at. And then once you reach the interior of the jellyfish, you see these wide passageways that were once used for hauling ore. Uh, you spend like five seconds racing through intermittent passageway darkness, passageway darkness, before the elevator slows down as it comes and arrives at the hub, which is this huge cylindrical, cylindrical chamber ringed with rows of shops, restaurants, flats, and an overriding sense that maybe this isn't the kind of place to carry a fat stack of credit chips out in the open. Your elevator terminates midway through the hub, about 30 floors from the, 30 floors from the bottom of the chamber, and... Um, you find yourselves in the center of the cylinder with like this radial of bridges extending out to the walls. And the largest bridge sh stretches into a out to a passageway guarded by two more red-coated humans with a fleet of elevator doors standing behind them. The elevator you take next is faster and quieter than the first. And after just a handful of seconds, its doors ding and slide open on a vast domed chamber bedecked in handcrafts and organic finery. The floor is hardwood, uh, the planks stained grey-black and polished to like a mirror finish. The curved walls and ceiling are wooden too, clad in panels whose surfaces are carved with like motifs of gemstones and dragons and serpents, like all these things cold and sharp. A black carpet stretches from the elevator where you're standing out to the centre of the room, where it ends at the base of an imposing wooden chair I don't think chair's quite the right word. I think, well, given the fact it stands on its own raised platform and its arms and backs are stood and arms and back are studded with small black stones that glitter like a hundred beady eyes, I would call this more of a throne. And it's occupied. Beside you, Tom the red-coated human sinks into a very deep bow and he says, Lady Zenith! Up on the throne, the Lady Zenith smiles, and though she is beautiful, the expression is not. The Lady is human, white, female, with a jawline that could cut glass and eyes as fierce and distant as a hawk's. Her hair is sleek and dark, and so is her clothing. She taps her painted nails on the arm of her throne, and it's about as threatening as the sound of a cocking blaster. Beside you, Faraday, Junie coughs, and then it says, <clears throat> Hi, Mom. Hello, darling. Dr. Lewis. Good afternoon, your ladyship. You appear to be missing some members. They're on the way. Well, I don't know if disappointed is quite the right word, but I was expecting all of you. And then a side door bangs open and Dr. Liam Malcolm comes striding across the chamber to prop a hip up against her throne and he kisses her on the head and then says... Jenny, Jenny, play nice. I'll behave if they will. 
she she kind of um gestures to the covered pod and she goes so what did you find Krell decides to pull off the sheet with a flourish <laughs> this right well this is troubling and you found this where you found the fireball yes Corell, your ladyship have you tried and she kind of wiggles a hand at the arm you have that's covered in markings i have been keeping that option in reserve fair enough and she kind of like it's like the most difficult thing on earth that she kind of rolls her eyes like and gets out of the chair and like really leisurely walks over to you just just all like sauntering like there is she's got all the time in the world and then she kind of very gently touches one fingertip against the pod. And then she winces and like shakes her hand and goes, Ah, rather nasty, isn't it, that? Quite. The draining. I'm just so intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's a nice scary page. <laughs> All the years of this campaign have just trained us to be intimidated by the lady. <laughs> you need slurp here right now, really. You'll yeah. <laughs> need slurp who's like, like, I'm going to make an inappropriate comment. I miss the shitty droid <laughs> sight. I miss the shitty sight. So just be staring everyone down and slurp goes, <laughs> butts. And then I they mean, get a fireball to the face. I mean, to be fair, <laughs> Lorelei is basically her weed dealer. So... I like Lorelei. She's my weed dealer. The rest <laughs> of you are like, okay. <laughs> Going back to the pod. <laughs> Going back to the pod. Uh, the lady Zenith looks down at it and her expression slowly kind of slides from casual confidence to something genuine and small. And then she turns very sharply and walks quickly back to her throne and sits down in it. And she says, we will discuss what that is, but I want your friends to be here. Is that all right? That's all right. And she sighs and says, uh, I sh you know, Lyra is always saying I should have like a plate of biscuits for times like this and we just have to wait. I don't even have chairs for you. Are you all standing? Standing fine? <laughs> it's me. <laughs> and um, Liam laughs and is like, I'll, I'll get you chairs. And um, he like hurries off to the side chamber and brings you some chairs to sit on while you wait. About probably honestly like half an hour later. So you're just kind of sat in awkward quiet with um, the Lady Zenith and Dr. Liam. How's Iris? Oh, okay. You want to ask? That, that could take a while. <laughs> That's a full half hour. I was, I was trying to, like, you know, get the conversation. <laughs> okay. At minute 15, the door opens again. And toddling through it, you <gasps> see the so anticipated Iris. Ooh, yeah. She, oh God, she looks like a mini Lady Zenith. Like, she's got, like, the dark hair. She's super adorable and little. But, like, her clothes, it's like... It's almost like the joke about someone running through a washing line, but if it was like Dr. Malcolm's washing line, because her clothes are kind of a disaster. But like toddler version. Toddler Funky disaster. Toddler. So like how toddlers normally dress. She looks like a Batman villain. I love it. From the Those old very comics. Funky it's very good. So she looks like a toddler who was allowed to dress herself. But she was, she didn't dress herself. Her dad dressed her. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. And she comes to the room and she's like, Daddy! And Dr. <laughs> Liam uh, goes and picks her up and bounces her on one hip. And then she kind of points at all of you. And then she points at you, Faraday, and she goes, Wrong! <laughs> <laughs> and, and he very gently <laughs> like... <laughs> Half an hour later, the rest of you arrive to find an impatient-looking Lady Zenith with her toddler on her lap and her husband looking very amused beside her throne. Faraday and Corel on very small chairs in the middle of this big, empty-ass room. Has has everyone else met Iris? Who's who's met Iris? Faraday's definitely met Iris because this is a, this is her niece now. Mm. I um. no, her sister-in-law. No, sister-in-law. Yeah, yeah, sister-in-law. Sorry, age threw me. Lorelei's probably met Iris bl briefly because uh, Lorelei visits the Lady Zena. Lorelei, when you arrive, 
Iris kind of shoves her way off her, her off her mum's lap, and the Lady Zenith kind of looks very like put upon and then she comes toddling at high speed across the floor towards you going teddy 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 oh, and lorelei is like oh no <laughs> um and lorelei puts her <laughs> arms out um she just like face first walks straight into you and buries her face in your fur yes hello hello uh your ladyship hello dr malcolm um if i could introduce my grandmother the esteemed leader of the Corosian uh Araswati Edna Longlived and my equally esteemed girlfriend <laughs> Damini Damini does like the awkwardest little curtsy in the world and then Edna comes like steaming in, grabs Iris and hefts her into her arms, even though like Iris is like half of Edna's size. And she kind of bounces her and goes, want you a little darling? Oh, Lorelei, you didn't say she had a child. Oh, I love fawnlings. I know you do, but you're meant to get their permission before you touch them. Bodily autonomy, grandmother. She kind of freezes and it looks towards the Lady Zenith, who is like standing with one hand crackling with magic. Oh, apologies, Lady Zenith. I, I have a lot of these of my own, and I'm quite fond of them. And she puts Iris down, and Iris goes toddling back towards um, Doctor Malcolm. My lady, Captain Crick, and um, she kind of closes her hand, just like extinguishing the spell, and sits back down. Now that you're all here, yeah, they, I think Stirp also gives an aw- an awkward bow. Uh, your 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 ladyship, well done please, so far. Please tell me I did that right. Oh, it was fine. Thank you. <laughs> I give Stirp a thumbs up, <laughs> and then I hardly put it down again when I realised I just did it in front of the lady's zenith. <laughs> she kind of looks at this disaster crew, and she just goes. You know, it's quite nostalgic seeing all of you together again in a reality is always disappointing compared to memory kind of way. So, the pod and the fireball. What do you know so far? What do you suspect? Um, I guess I tell her like what I what I learned with detect magic about mm. like the two there's two different magics and like one's inside, one's outside, that type of thing. She nods and taps one finger against her mouth and she goes Right. As as Schlurp is is saying this, Corel is giving them a significant look. Lorelei is also looking at Schlurp like, God, God damn it! <laughs> Crick is just looking a bit confused because he instinctively trusts Schlurp, but it's a bit odd. And anyway, Crick then volunteers what um, he talked about with Takumi. Mm. Um, doesn't mention Takumi, so he talks about like the dream. And um, ultimately says that I think that this is some kind of intrusion from another dimension. Other people may have concluded that already. It may not be that new. I also think that this has been building for a while. And I think that the destruction of the cans here, the uh, destruction of whispers, the galaxy becoming more chaotic has made us more vulnerable to this. And I don't think that we have much time. The captain is right. This was always going to happen. It's always just been a question of when. And she stands again. Years ago, more years than I would like to admit, I, Liam and Lyra were where you are now. We had strange markings and she points to Corel and she says, we saw visions and she points to Crick and she says, and points to the rest of you and she says, we had powers and phantoms we could not explain we were young and powerful and in love and in love with power it felt limitless we felt limitless and then we found out that the universe is ending and she raises up both hands and she casts major image and this encompasses all of you in an illusion an illusioner it's an illusory environment complete with sound smells and temperatures and in this illusion you see three people standing in front of you you see a young woman with a messy high ponytail uh the lady zenith herself although like this like 
messy in trousers no makeup she looks so much like Junie it's almost eerie and next to her tall gangly but without his characteristic silver hair is Liam and next to the two of them is Lyra still holding a giant sword and looking pissed off she looks exactly the same (laughs) (laughs) we looked everywhere in this realm for the origin of our powers Because although we appreciated our extraordinary gifts, it's always wise to know who you might owe down the line. When we ran out of places in our world, we decided to look elsewhere. And she points at her younger self as her younger self casts banishment. And the three of them kind of flash for a second. And then around you an environment springs up. Uh, a wide avenue, a world of greys, uh, which forms a wide avenue lined by these strange, ever-shifting, ever-changing buildings. We were so excited that it took a minute for us to realise what we were seeing. That grey world, like, as it settles and you can see this avenue and this blank grey place, you are able to now see that there are skeletons lying on this beautiful, broad, proud avenue. There are bodies in the doorways and everything is still and frozen. And you see like these, this, this younger trio, like look around now in horror, no longer excited. And in the distance at the far end of the avenue, you see something orange flare up. It's the only color in this world as this orange leaps up and exposes itself to be a huge monstrosity made of fire and flame, the Lady Zena says, we ran. And you see like their younger selves sprinting down this avenue, fleeing as this fire leaps forward and consumes everything in its path. And then right before they're consumed, the three of them wink out of existence and the illusion is frozen with just the fire like leaning over you all and it's just an illusion but you can feel the heat and then Liam says we don't know what that is we know that it used to be something called Pyros it used to be a person now it's a thing and the lady Zenith says we went back to that place again after that first time The buildings you can see on the avenue, they change constantly, but if you're lucky, there's a library. We were lucky, just once, and while we were there, we learned many things. We learned that that place, that entire grey realm, is the the source of all magic, though. Not just some, all magic comes from that place. We learned that something happened there to make it into a graveyard. We don't know the specifics, but just that it involved this being, this creature. And we know that whatever happened, happened quickly. Too quickly for anyone to write down the details. Page. Yes? Corel, those, the page fragments Corel took. Yes. They still have those, don't they? Yes, you do. Corel takes them out. You reach into your bag and you pull out those sheets of paper. And the Lady Zenith stops talking and looks at you. I have also been to this library. I did suspect there are signs, if you know what to look for, of the kind of people who resonate with this place and the beings that once lived there. And the five of you, all five of you, and then she kind of pulls an odd face and she goes, however unlikely it might seem, have given me that feeling from time to time. So you... Found the library too. Yes. I don't necessarily understand everything I learnt there, and repeat visits proved challenging. The creature, Pyrrhos, he is very keen to guard that place. The library we always found was one of the most tightly guarded of all. Anyway, that library, that place, it's going to be the end of everything. The very first day we went there, young and foolish and naive as we were, we were already strong enough to realise something you must also have realised, Corel. 
That place can't contain that creature forever. And our world isn't populated by gods. Once it gets here, lights out. And she extinguishes Major Image, and you are just all standing in her throne room with the pod behind you. And she points at it and she goes, that is connected to that realm somehow. I don't know how, but what I can offer is a connection or connections to people who might be able to help you. People who we've spent many decades paying to investigate these things and any hint of this world and what happened to it. I know an expert who might be able to help you with whatever is written on that thing. And then she smiles and she goes, but as you know, I don't give anything away for free. What's, What's the, the price? price? Darling, do you think I'm a monster? This is the end of the universe we're talking about. I'm not going to extract anything from you at this time. Babysitting. Mommy would like an evening out with daddy <laughs> tomorrow at seven. She is to be returned unharmed and entertained at 11. Can you manage that? I make the presentation with my fingers like some sparks. Like, I figure we can do that. That does not encourage me. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not real sparks. It's, it's, shh, yeah. shh, shh, shh. And she <laughs> walks down from her throne, uh, from where she's been standing near her throne Friday, and she holds her hand out to you and she goes, Dr. Zenith Lewis, a deal? It's a deal. And you shake. Um, I think, like, as we're, he- uh, as we're heading off, I send a quick group message to everyone. I'm not talking to anyone, but, like, a group message says, I need to tell you all something. Meet me at the edge of the AI Alliance encampment tomorrow at noon. As you leave the Lady Zenith's chamber, she clears her throat. And then she says, Lorelei, don't think this makes us even. Hey, it's Paige Dolby Evans, your game master, host, and resident dog person. I just wanted to say that the Junket podcast wouldn't be possible without the talents of the lovely people behind the characters. That's my wife Leonie as Dr. Faraday Zenith Lewis, Duncan as Corel, Elle as Captain Mitchell Crick, Shona as Schlurp, and Jess as Lorelei Widewanderer. Our show is powered by a modified version of Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. To learn about the custom rulings, mechanics, and aliens that make our game possible, you can visit our website, thejunkitpodcast.com, or just ask us on Twitter at thejunkitpod. Lastly, if you're both willing and able, you could support the show over on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thejunkitpodcast. That's all from me. See you in a fortnight.